Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. The Praxis Apostolion for all you Greek speakers out there. And yeah, don't tease me, but I'm still rocking the iPad 1, okay? No room in the budget for an upgrade yet. All right. Okay. Can you believe it's 2020? Christmas is done, gone. Like, Christmas is like my favorite time of year. I mean, as a Christian, we celebrate Christmas, Easter every day, right? But Christmas is, I just love Christmas. I love the nativity story. I love that you see in that nativity story people, all different people, different nationalities, different socioeconomic bands, education, all coming to be part of the birth of the Messiah. You know, the shepherds had angelic visitation, the, the magi, the wise educated from the east, you know, saw it in the stars. All different people coming to God. You know, that's my favorite story. And that story continues today. If you've heard me speak before, you probably notice I hover a lot around the book of Acts. Like, I pray about what God wants to talk about. It's not my preference. But I do hover around the book of Acts. And the reason is, is because the, the book of Acts chronologically records key events in the early church. How the church started and how it kicked off. And, and it just suddenly stops at chapter 28 with no formal ending. Now, if that book continued on and the author, Dr. Luke, handed his work to others and they kept on going throughout history... We'd be somewhere in the thousands of chapters now, and somewhere in that story, we would be in there, because God is still working that through that church and through his people, and that's where the book would, would have gone. Now, we, the church, I don't mean this building, because this is just a building, and we use buildings to build people, but we, the church, the body of Christ on earth, we come together on our Sunday services to celebrate these truths, Right? to celebrate his sacrifice on the cross, his victory over sin and death. Now, in this room right now, there are people from literally all over the globe, different parts of Sydney, and there's different stuff going on in the background here. Some of you guys are on top of your game. Life's going really well. Couldn't be better. Some of you guys have got some pretty big challenges going on, and you feel like you've hit the bottom. And some of you probably couldn't think it couldn't get any worse. And, you know, although this is a celebration, I know that there's some people here that aren't really here to party. You're here looking for the hospital room. And, and we need to, as, you know, we need to be mindful of that and, and serve you the best that we can. And the Christian life is not always a party. Most of the time it's a battle. And some people are deep in that fight. There are many highs, but there are also many lows. And you won't always see that on the church promo videos. Not from our church, we're pretty good. I mean, just to get off track, one thing that irks me crazy is that it's like, hi guys, welcome to our Sunday, looking like they're all dressed up like K-pop, and it's like, dude, man, what are you doing? No, 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 it's like, no. Anyway, maybe you're here today because this message is for you. God's put it on my heart, I pray it up, and I'm, and I'm here to deliver it to you. Acts chapter 16. Run your fingers down to verse 16. And before we get there, let me give you the background. Paul's on, on his, Paul and his crew are on his second missionary journey. Now, he, from what we understand, he's probably on his way to Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit blocks him and forbids him to going into Asia. And it, how that happened, we don't know. Um, but God stopped him. And then he saw a vision of a Macedonian man. 
I imagine someone looking like Alexander the Great, right? And asked him to come to Macedonia and help them. And so Paul obeys, changes direction, and sails uh, through the Aegean Sea on his way to Philippi. Now, when he gets to Philippi, which is actually in modern-day Greece, which is formerly Macedonia. Sorry, I know that's a political hot topic if you're Macedonian. Sorry, but modern-day Greece. Uh, it's about 16 k's inland from the Aegean coast, right? He arrives at the city of Philippi. Now, as it was his custom, he goes to find the synagogue. The thing is, there isn't a synagogue in Philippi. Now, under Jewish law, if there's more than 10 men, Jewish men in a city, they were required to set up a, a synagogue, but there isn't one there. So what he does is he goes down by the river, and then he finds a group of women. Although the Macedonian man said, come, he finds the women. And they're down by the, the river, and there is a, a godly woman, a woman of God named Lydia. Now, she's actually from Thyatira, so she's not a local, but she's a businesswoman, and she is a believer and a follower of God. And he, he teams up with her. Okay. Now, from that point, we're going to pick up the story here in verse 16. I'm just going to read through this to, for, to verse 24, and then we'll back up and unpack how's that. You guys ready? Who has not got a Bible? Okay, find someone that does have a Bible, make a friend. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, so if you've got another version, read yourself. And I'm hoping that will come up there at some point. That's all right, it's on its way. All right, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she said for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, ca and he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought to them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Stocks were like big chunks of wood tied around your legs so you couldn't move. All right. Now, in these uh, few verses, this passage of Scripture here records a series of events that happened to the Apostle Paul and his, and his, and his boys, right? A man of God serving the Lord fulfilling his call, and we see him go from the highs of ministry to the lows of ministry. But is he in the will of God? All right, so this book of Acts, just to give you a bit more, the, um, it was written by Dr. Luke around 63 AD. It covers a period of about 30 years from the ascension of Christ to Paul's house imprisonment. Right now where we're at, we're sitting at about 49 AD. Now, this passage, this verse here, back to verse 16. If we could have that up on the screen, please. Maybe not today. Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay. All right. See that? We are a tech-savvy church. I love it. All right. Verse 16. Now, it happened when we went to prayer. 
But a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now, see how he writes here, we, first uh, person pronoun. That's the second time that's turned up in scripture. The first one was only in verse 11. Dr. Luke, the author, is actually there with them. Okay, you're actually reading a first person account. This is written by the guy who saw it, right? Just say FYI there. Prayer. Now, this is probably at the river, the Gagites, the Gangites River, where they met Lydia. Okay, and we know that there's no, there's no synagogue at the moment, and so we're assuming there's a very small population, uh, Jewish population in that area. Now, Luke also points out that this is a slave girl. Now, three things about the girl. One, she's a slave. She's not free. She's someone's property. Now, that was not uncommon. As, as detestable as that seems to us, that was not uncommon in that time. Second thing is, she's possessed, right? Now, in the Greek here, a spirit of, def, of divination, right? Spirit in the Greek is pneuma. The div, divination is actually a Greek word, puthon, which literally means python. So it's the spirit of a python. Now, this comes from Greek mythology, which would have been the prominent faith in the area at the time. Now, the python, this, this, the spirit of the python comes from the story of Apollo, Apollo and the python. So at a place called, uh, let me get the name of the place right, Delphi. Seriously, Greek mythology's out there, hey. Like, it's really hard to get your head around. It's worse than trying to understand the Star Wars universe since Disney got a hold of it. Like, it is wild, right? Now, there's, there's the, the story goes that there's this oracle who prophesies, her name's Pythia, yes, I got it. Pythia, right? And she's defended by this python who is the wife of Zeus called Hera sent to basically kill Apollo's mum, Leto, because she had twins to her husband, but she can understand why she's upset. And it all goes south from here. But Apollo, to protect his mum, goes and kills this python. But this python's job was to protect the oracle, which would prophesy and fortune tell. So the, the Greeks would actually go up on the mountain of, De of Delphi and seek like fortune telling and things from this Pythia. Now, this is pretty out there, right? I mean, to think that a society that produced some of the greatest philosophical minds, like we're talking Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, they come up with some really bizarre stuff, superstition, beliefs. Um, Luke was not giving any credibility to these myths, but he's pointing out that the spirit that inhabited this girl was characterized by that spirit of divination that worked through the fortune teller, the oracle of Delphi. You see where I'm going with this, right? Because the other thing he points out with the girl is that she's a fortune teller. Now, that was hugely popular back in the day. Uh, military guys would go and seek the fortune tellers to find out, you know, what's the best course of action to take. Business people would ask about their decisions. In fact, the Greeks were so superstitious, they didn't really want to make any decisions in life without consulting some sort of medium and seeking a, prophet, a prophecy in what they were doing. And... Unfortunately, it's still extremely popular today. Like you've got entire TV channels on Foxtel devoted to reading the stars and there's like psychics that, you know, put their little tables out. It's really common in our world right now. I used to, I had a flatmate who was actually a tarot card reader and I saw some crazy stuff. That was before I got saved. And I'm telling you, there is spirits behind it. They can do stuff. They can't do stuff themselves, but the demons that work through that can do stuff. All right. Now, God strictly forbade his people from taking part in any such thing. All right. Leviticus 19.31 says, Give no regard to mediums or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them, 
or be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 26, 6 in Leviticus, he says, And any person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. And that's just two verses for you. And the reason that God was so against it was because of the influence behind it. You know what I'm saying? Demons are real. They're real and they're just as active today as they were in the book of Acts. And, and if you don't believe that, you're deceived. Um, they're obviously a lot quieter today, and there's different theories as to why that is. Possibly we're not as big a threat to them, so they don't need to reveal themselves. And a lot of people will say, like in the movie Reservoir Dogs, where he says the greatest con of the devil is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Satan cannot be defeated by God. So what he's been doing since the fall was to destroy the thing, to seek to destroy the thing he loves most, us. Now we know that the devil roams like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, de- may devour. In 1 Peter 5, 8 it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We know in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is clearly referring to the demonic. And those in Christ wrestle against demonic forces on a daily basis, whether you know it or not. Now, a question I hear quite often, I just want to go there because I know you're probably thinking it. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Answer, I don't believe so. In Christ... No. Outside of Christ, yes. Yes, I believe a Christian can be oppressed, but I believe if you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are in Christ and Holy Spirit is in you, no, any, the demons will flee. The demons will flee. If you are not in Christ, you are fair game. All right? Now, verse 17. Please. This girl followed Paul and us, and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. So the demon-possessed girl calls that out. I mean, sounds like the girl's speaking truth. Yeah? Hold that thought for a moment. Let's just be real for a second. Let's be real. As pastors, we pray for stuff like that. (laughs) All right? All right, pastors, ministers, even anyone with an evangelical mindset, pray for a day when unsafe people are like, these men, like, is that not true? These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Because that's what we're here for. The purpose is to propagate the gospel and to bring people to Jesus so that they can get saved. And this girl is validating their work. Fair? Now, you think these boys, they're off to plant a new church in a new town. They got a lot, they got a lot of concerns and fears and anxieties. And then the unsafe population comes out and starts validating them. Like, that would be quite encouraging, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> People need to be affirmed. People need encouragement. 
But where do you get that affirmation from? Because it can be a trap. I'm going to show you that now. It can be a trap where you get your affirmation from. Look at the wording. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. These men. Paul is preaching Jesus. This girl does not say Jesus is the Most High God who is the way of salvation. Do you notice how the focus goes back onto these men? Right? This demon is affirming them, going after their ego, not who they're serving. Do you see that? And then when he says, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, remember, this is it. We're, we're English speakers, right? But this was written in Greek. And if you go back to that word there that says the way, see what it says, the way. That's actually one word in the Greek called hodos. And it means our way, our road, right? So she's affirming them. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us a way of salvation. A way. Have you ever wondered why this demon didn't just attack Paul's credibility or challenge his message directly? Didn't spoke truth. Just a little bit off. Just a little bit. It's, it's close. Close enough, you'd think. This is one of Satan's classic ploys to give you just enough truth to get you hooked. And behind that is nothing but lies and deception. He would love nothing more than to have people just lump Christianity in there with a heap of other world religions that are all roads leaving the Rome. Wouldn't they? You take your pick. It's like a theological supermarket out there. Hindu, Buddhism, Christian, whatever you want. Take your pick. What, works? what do you feel like today? Where do you want to sort of gain your identity from? Design a religion. Demons have no problem telling some of the truth to hide their deception. I'll give you an example, right? The question that we all need to answer for salvation is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you get that question wrong, your doctrine is what will spin out of control real quick. And you'll end up somewhere like with the Jehovah's Witnesses where Jesus isn't even God. Jesus refers to himself as the chief cornerstone. Because when they're building buildings, that cornerstone, they get in the right spot. If it's even a millimeter out when they lay that cornerstone, at the end of that wall, that wall's going to be way out. Who is Jesus? His divinity. He is God. Because you can take Son of God which is a theological concept to explain his relationship with the Father in the incarnate state. Did, did mom God, dad God get together and produce a baby God? No. The family of Christ, that's their family name? No, that's not what happened. But do you see how quick, if you don't have your doctrine 100%, it can spin out really quick. Jesus on the devil, in John 8, 44, Jesus said, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. This same thing happened to Jesus. The demons used this ploy on Jesus himself, forced him to question himself. In Mark chapter 3, 
And the unclean spirits, this is sorry, Mark chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them and said that they should not make him known. Mark chapter 1, 23 to 26. He said, Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, which literally in the Greek means dirty. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to us to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The actual structure there, he doesn't actually say that he's God. You know, he's just flattering him, but he's not speaking truth. If you don't know your stuff, you'd be like, yeah, that's right. It's not right. Now, what's interesting about this one here, oh, verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, come out of him. Verse 26, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Now, there was a belief in the ancient world at the time that if you spoke someone's name, you could actually gain control over them. And it's believed that's what this demon is attempting to do. But in verse 25, see what it says, be quiet. I like how in the King James Version it says, hold thy peace. <laughs> in the Greek, the quiet, that word in the Greek is phimu. You know what it literally means? Muzzle. A muzzle. So the English translators say, be quiet, hold thy peace. But what Jesus actually said in the Greek was, be muzzled. Because when you say be quiet, it sort of it, it pictures that like the demon has a choice whether to obey or not. Is it a good demon or a bad demon? Oh, I'll listen to Jesus because he'll come out with a big stick if I don't, right? No, 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 no. You stick a muzzle on the dog, it's got no choice. And Jesus did that with just a word, just a word, be muzzled. Demon's got no say in it. That's Jesus' authority. He speaks a word. Can't, you know, you've got to go to the Greek on some of these stuff. There's, there's a whole, it's like enter the matrix. <laughs> All right? These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> Verse 18. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, because he knows what's going on, right? Paul ain't no chump, right? turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, that same authority that muzzles, to come out of her, and he came out that very hour. Yet Paul was annoyed because he recognized the counterfeit and the false motives. He's probably concerned that people would think that the girl knew him and that she was somehow associated with them and would have some sort of access to the power that Paul's working in. Right now, we know that the enemy works through counterfeits and things that look very similar. Why did Paul delay casting the demon out? Because it said it went on for many days. Not sure. Uh, I, I assume probably because he knew the chaos that would ensue. <laughs> if he, um, he just wanted to stay focused on the ministry. And he knew that if he casted it out, it's going to go south from there. Verse 19. This was hard. Last night, I, I was in the early hours and I was praying and reading. God smacked some stuff on here. I'm just going to tell you what I said, right? But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now, anyone in their right mind and with a hint of humanity would be totally indignant at the thought of abusing a child for profit. Right? This is outright child exploitation. 
Paul did a good thing. He cast the demon out. This girl who had been in bondage would have been suddenly free. Now, we don't know what happened, what became of this girl. It doesn't say, I hope, I hope she found her way home to a loving family. She came to Jesus, got saved, and went on to serve the Lord. That's what I hope. It doesn't say that, but I believe, I, I'm going to believe that in faith, right? Now, Paul did a good thing, helped this girl out. Yet the masters, all they cared about was their profit. No regard for the young girl. As disturbing and disgusting as the abuse of a young woman for profit is, it was not something confined to the ancient world. It happens today. It happens in our community. Here in Sydney. Right? The means are mostly different, but the same evil is behind it. We live in a world which is absolutely saturated with pornography, like the sex industry is rife, and it's slowly creeping into the mainstream. Now, I spent a bit of time last night looking at this website called Fight the New Drug, right? And there's a whole bunch of articles written by different people. Man, I went to this deep, dark, disturbing place because I had no idea how prevalent it literally was. Like, on the net, like, we're talking like a $97 billion worldwide industry. And that's all post-VHS and DVDs and magazines. We're talking free streaming on any device you want. Yet, it generates 100,000 million in revenue a year. And you know what's crazy? Australia, which has the population of, like, New York City, is the eighth largest consumer. Now, what disturbs me is that the, statistically, the rates of use are no different outside of the church as inside the church. So right now, someone here in this, statistically speaking, has a problem. All right? Now... I'm, like, you know, it's crazy, like, in the, in the United States, like, the four big codes, we're talking basketball, NFL, we're talking hockey and baseball, those four put together don't generate the revenue that online porn does, okay? 30% of downloads of any sort on the internet, the whole net, are porn-related. More gets streamed in porn than Netflix, Amazon, Stan, and somebody else I can't remember combined. That's what, that's, the word pornography comes from the Greek pornea. It actually means immorality. Now, some of y'all sitting there probably thinking, oh, it's just, you know, it's just natural. No, it's, it's, it's immorality. It's a corruption of God's plan, all right? And the thing is, it is not harmless fun. It destroys relationships, destroys young people's idea of sexual relationships, which is a gift of God. It, des it destroys families, Right? And it's happening in our community. Now, the reason I bring this up is because you might think, hey, I'm not paying for it. I'm not supporting it. No, you're not. But every little click you take, that company is selling as advertising clickbait. And you are supporting it. You are funding the abuse and exploitation of young women, and you are no different to these masters. Presbyterian minister called Chris Hedges says in his uh, essay he wrote um, in 2015, 
that pornography commercializes rape, torture and of women and caters for an increasingly jaded market of men chasing more and more violent depictions of women being brutalized by men. The, statistically, it's like 98% against women. Like, no doubt it goes the other way, but look, I just really felt God put that on my heart. You need to get off it. If you need to get help, we can refer you to actual agencies that specialize in that. But please, guys, I'm talking to the men particularly because it's a women's problem as well, okay? But you need to stop. You need to stop the exploitation of God's daughters. I've got two daughters, and the thought of my daughters being involved in any way in that makes me sick to my gut. Can you imagine how God feels? Now, the only way we can fight this is to take away the market. It's like when I grew up in uh, Liverpool, there was a bit of a heroin problem. And it didn't matter how many heroin dealers they arrested, because people were using heroin, not somebody else came up and kept selling it. So the cops were out there working hard, didn't do anything. The thing was, you had to take the market away. So we've got to take the market away. That means we need to stop people using it. We can't do that with just words. You know what? We need to, Jesus needs to get a hold of hearts, change hearts. Jesus changing hearts, taking away the market, this whole thing will crumble. That's what I'm praying in Jesus' name. Oh, verse 20. Sorry, if you're new, great, great to have you here. <laughs> it's, so, it's awesome, you're welcome. It's, you know, we exist for your benefit, and thank, praise God you're here. All right, verse 20. <laughs> and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Verse 21, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. Paul did a good thing by setting the girl free, but he wasn't about to get a pat on the back for it. The Bible's clear that if we're going to live for God, we will be persecuted. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Jesus said it himself, when he outlines all the blessings that are coming to us in this life, and we will get persecutions. And the reason is very simple. The world is going one way. The world is directed by sin, greed, lust, corruption. And when we decide to live for God, we are living in direct contrast to the world. And when you go against the tide, there's going to be some friction. Now, Paul cast out a demon, but he was accused of causing trouble in the city and bringing in these customs that were not lawful. Total false accusation. They didn't go out and say, he cast my demon out. No, he didn't do that, did he? They, they said, he's causing all this trouble in the city. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, this is verse 22, and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, I don't know how many of you here have been beaten with rods, but who's ever experienced a false accusation wrapped around your faith? All right. For all of you non-submarine Christians, yeah? That happens all the time. All the time. Now, according to uh, Open Doors Ministry, they still believe some, around the world, in the persecuted countries, and some of you guys are from persecuted backgrounds, and I really admire you guys and how you support your families and things that have happened overseas. They still believe that today, 2020, that up to... And this is the reason they can't, they don't actually have, they can't get proper numbers because in some countries, they just kill Christians and bury them and no one hears anything about it. 
But they believe it's somewhere to about 160,000 a year worldwide are martyred specifically for their faith. Not belonging to a Christian subgroup, but for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 160,000. And some of us, we go into deep cover because that loudmouth in the office wants to drop another joke about being a virgin, right? Paul, serving God in the midst of his plan, the purpose for him, is beaten with rods. I mean, we're talking broken ribs. Imagine him in there praising the Lord. We need, to remember, we need to remember our friends, our brothers and sisters, overseas in oppressed countries. Today in Iran, if you proselytize, it's actually a, a capital offense. They'll back a lorry into a public square and hang you off the back of the crane as an example to the rest of the community. And that's if you tell someone about Jesus. Yet most of us are a little bit scared and worried about doing that in case you get a dumb joke back. Right? beaten with rods there will be times when you will not be popular and this comes back to the question of who you take your affirmation from who do you live for who do you let define your identity who is it is it the demon possessed world or is it Christ himself when we are persecuted we just need to remember there's some people out there are suffering so much worse. Verse 23, they laid many stripes on them and they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them security. Verse 24, having received such a charge, they put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. These guys have been beaten up, bloodied by, with sticks, and now they're in a torture device. Sometimes the result for living for the Lord is not always pleasant but it always has a purpose. The passage goes on to demonstrate this, but I'm going to save that for another sermon, all right? Now, the events of this passage don't appear to go well for Paul, right? But remember, at the beginning of this chapter, 16, it actually starts with a closed door. A door closed in his face. Who's ever had that happen? You've wanted to do something, and suddenly circumstance, situation just shuts in your face. All right, Lord, what now? What now? He has a vision. Now he's on his way to Macedonia, to Philippi. Now, you know what's wild, right? Of everything we just read then, Philippi, right? Lydia, Lydia gave her heart to the Lord. She becomes a Christian. She opens her house to all the other believers to come. That becomes a church. And that church was the first church on European soil. First church on European soil. And Europe goes on to be the hub of Christianity. We're, like we're talking about great church movements came, I mean, not, let alone the Catholic Roman Empire. We're talking the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Calvinists. All these Christian organizations would be birthed in Europe that would go all, take the gospel all around the world and are still doing that today. Now, while Paul's sitting in that dungeon, all beaten up and bloody, I don't really think he kind of was thinking that, but that's God's purpose working through Paul. And, you know, maybe your purpose is not quite as dramatic or <laughs> dangerous, but yet, when you suffer persecution, just remember, God's working through you, okay? 
So take home today. As I said before, with people here at all different stages of your life, okay? If everything's going well for you, praise the Lord, right? And just remember to keep him at the center of everything, knowing that he's working through you, okay? Now, if you're in a situation that doesn't look so good, things aren't going well, probably think they can't get any worse, like I'm really scratching the sticky stuff off the bottom of the barrel, right? Praise the Lord. And remember to keep him at the center of everything because he is working through you. All right? Praise God. If everyone could stand with me, please. Praise God for everything he is doing. And even when you don't realize that he's doing something, he's doing something. He's never left nor forsaken you. He's always doing something. There is a purpose. There is a plan being outworked in your life. And you know what? You don't even need to see it. You just need to have faith and trust the Lord. You know, Paul, with his revelation of God, says in Philippians 1.6 that he is faithful and just to complete that which he began. Which means if, if you're here today, you haven't left the world already. You're here. You're, you're, you're breathing. You're sucking oxygen. God is not finished with you. And he's still working that plan through you. Now, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding, as the Bible says, and that only comes from knowing Christ. And now, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus and you haven't accepted him into your heart, we can't finish this sermon without giving you an opportunity to make that decision to follow Jesus, to put him at the center of your life, to receive his free gift of salvation that he paid for on the cross. He took your place on that cross to pay for your eternity. If you want to make that decision today, right where you are, with all eyes closed, let's close this is Christians praying. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to them in their heart right now. With no one else watching. If there's somebody here today, I just want you to right where you're at, and you're going to accept Christ's free gift of salvation. Please raise your hand right where you're at. Right where you're at. Thank you. Father, I just pray you seal that decision in their heart, Lord God. Thank you, Father God, that you have just redirected their eternity. Lord, that you've got them in your hand right now. Lord, that they have shifted into your grace lane, Father God. And them and generations to come after them will be blessed. Thank you, Father, that you change lives. Lord, I pray for everybody that's struggling here today, Lord, whether it's health issues, financial issues, family issues, whatever it is, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are bigger and that you are more powerful in that situation. And we just commit those situations to you. And we ask Holy Spirit that you would work through them and give them wisdom, give them knowledge, give them understanding, and may faith, love, and hope just flood their lives, Lord God, and spill out of them in streams of living water. Oh, Lord, thank you that you take that weight for them. Carry them in this time, Father God. Lift them up, Father God. Get them through it, Lord. And just take that well of faith even deeper in their lives, Father God. In Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've done, God. We give you all the praise and we declare you as God in this house today. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen.